Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. My name is Stephanie Gilden-Vance, and I am with the Winnebago County Health Department and your host for today's podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Michael from the Winnebago Conflict Resolution Center and Lindsay from the Winnebago County Health Department. We talked about housing in our community and its impact on substance use. We also talked a little bit about the impact COVID is having on housing stability in Oshkosh and Winnebago County. The interview with Michael and Lindsay is up next. Lindsay did want me to ask a quirky question, but how about we start with just you guys and like, who are you, Lindsay and Michael? Can you introduce yourself, who you are, what organization you're with, and then we'll jump into the podcast? Sure, I can go. Uh, My name is Lindsay Erickson, and I'm a community health strategist at the Winnebago County Health Department which means that I basically work to make the community better so that people can be healthier. Um, So most of my work focuses on improving housing access in our county, um, which can be access to emergency shelter, transitional housing, uh, stable housing. Um, And I've been working and living in Oshkosh for six years. Thanks, Michael. I'm Michael Rust. I am the Chief Executive Officer of the Winnebago Conflict Resolution Center. And so we are a nonprofit community and court connected mediation center. So we do uh, mediations and obviously in this context, we're talking a lot about landlord tenant mediations. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us for this podcast today. Um, Again, Lindsay did want me to ask a quirky question. I think really she just wanted to know if I were to ask a quirky question, what would it be so she could prepare herself? Yes, that's so, correct. I, yeah. I have to be able to prepare. Yeah. So I don't think I told you the question, um, so you're not prepared. Oh, no. I, and the question is, like, when you did have, like, let's say a Thanksgiving meal or a holiday meal, and let's say there's, like, a obligatory uh, item that you had to take due to pressure from a loved one that is in the environment, what was that obligatory food item, such as Aunt Sally's bean casserole? Um, and did you actually eat it, or did you find a way to feed it to a dog and or cover it up with your napkin when they're not looking? Hmm. So this is something that I had to bring, like I was required to bring to the, the Thanksgiving dinner? It was at the table, and oh. Aunt Sally, you know, really wanted to see it on your plate. What was that item? Mm. And did you actually eat it or did you cover it up? That's a good question. Uh, so I, I'll start. Uh, yeah. I love food, so I will try anything. So I had no problem grabbing any of those, any of those options. Um, the harder part is when it happens the second year and you already know you don't like it. Yeah. Um, and so generally, I, I will then um, make sure that I find a way to make that be the last thing that I get. And so my plate's already full. Sorry. Oh, that's a good strategy. Yeah. It's, that's a good strategy. 
Yeah, I, I do think we're point. talking about the, the dish that appears every year. Mm-hmm. Lindsay? Um, well, I had to think hard about this one. I am not a fan of the, like, sweet potato uh, marshmallow thing that seems to appear a lot. It's just too too sweet, too much. So, um, yeah, I would usually, I think my grandma would usually make that. Um, I think sometimes there was like some brandy in it too, which I don't, I don't know what effect that has on the sweet potato, but um, not a fan. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah, that, that can just go away on my plate this year for sure. Mine was indeed the green bean casserole, which generally, it's not all green bean casseroles. It's the, like, uh, I think it's fresh green beans that they used, Mm -hmm. and it was, like, never fully cooked. So it's kind of this, like, overly crunchy green bean, which didn't really mesh with the, and it was watery. Um, So just kind of a funky texture situation, but it was the reliable dish that was always there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were there fried onions on top? Yeah. Which yeah. was probably the best part of the dish. So it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Now that we know each other a little bit and our strategies to avoid foods we do not like, um, let's jump into our podcast. So today we're talking about housing and housing community here in the Oshkosh Winnebago County area, and also um, like what that can look like and mean for uh, families that are struggling with substance use or where substance use comes into the picture. So first we'll start just talking about housing in general. Uh, can each of you take a second just to share what specifically area of housing you work on and, and what you see in your line of work? Sure, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so primarily what we do at the Winnebago Conflict Resolution Center is we mediate issues between landlords and tenants. Uh, we mediate more than that, but in this context, we're mediating between landlords and tenants. And when we're doing that, it's often to try to uh, stop an eviction from taking place. Uh, so sometimes that is brought to us directly by the landlord and tenant you know, before there's any uh, legal action. But we also do show up at the at the courthouse and we are doing mediations in order to see if we can't stop that eviction process from continuing. Um, And sometimes that looks like finding a way for the tenant to stay in the property. And sometimes it's coming up with an agreement on how they can move out and still maintain that positive relationship with that landlord, whether it's, you know, a positive rental reference or some other type of, um, you know, moving on from that property and into a new one without having to go through the whole process of an eviction and having that on your record. Interesting. Um, How many cases do you typically get involved with uh, in this housing eviction mediation uh, monthly, let's say? Monthly? um, Traditionally, it's probably somewhere between five and ten per month. Um, We do them weekly when the courts are holding their eviction hearings. Um, And so we try to get involved with as many as we possibly can. Um, We have talked with the court commissioners on how we can potentially get involved in more cases. Um, So that may be coming down the line, but obviously uh, that was kind of a conversation that started pre-COVID. And now as we're in the middle of everything, you know, all of those plans got put on hold while we try to figure out the new normal. 
Yeah, thank you. And we'll touch a little bit on COVID and the impact that it, that has uh, played in some of the issues around housing. So thank you. Lindsay, can you share a little bit about what working on housing looks like from your light of work? Sure. So um, housing for us, I started focusing on housing at the health department a little over a year ago um, and looking specifically at um, affordability, stable housing, and access to kind of emergency shelter or transitional housing. Um, so it's kind of a new area for public health to be looking at. I think traditionally public health has been involved a lot in um, kind of more specific housing issues, looking at things like, you know, sanitation, overcrowding, ventilation issues, things that can cause pretty like direct health outcomes. But now we're starting to look at it kind of at a broader level because we know that housing is such a foundation in someone's life for everything else to go go right. So now it's looking at kind of what are the, the conditions in a person's community, the things that uh, they might have access to that impact their health. So it's not just, you know, looking at, you know, lead poisoning or asthma, but what does the experience of an eviction uh, have on a family? How does act, not having access to affordable housing, how does that impact someone's ability to pay for other things like going to the doctor or paying for healthy food? So we're kind of expanding looking at, at housing at a, a broader level. Thank you. Looking at housing from your own line of work as well as other partners that you may be working with and people that are impacted by housing issues, what do you see as some of the most pressing housing issues in our community or gaps in housing that, that cause challenges for the people and families that live in our area? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest issues that I've been learning about is really the access and availability of affordable housing and all different types of housing. So we talk about this kind of continuum of housing in a community. So is there access to shelter, emergency shelters, or access to transitional housing or sober living, and then up to affordable kind of market rate housing. So I think we've seen the impacts of that here in Oshkosh. Uh, there was a recent report from last year that showed that almost half of renters in Oshkosh, that's about 12,000 renters, um, are housing burdened. So that means that they're paying more than 30% of their income on housing costs. And we know that we need a lot more housing in Oshkosh, especially for folks who are a very low income. And then the other piece of that is the eviction side. So looking at uh, what's the impact of evictions, Winnebago County does tend to see higher rates of eviction. So looking at how can we support families going through evictions, but also doing the work that Michael's doing of even preventing those from happening in the first place. So there's a lot of, of work to do on that side too. Thanks, Lindsay. And Michael, do you have anything to add to that as far as like pressing housing related issues? You know, I think uh, you know, kind of building on what Lindsay was saying about the evictions, you know, I think one of the things we're seeing is how long those evictions can, can impact. Um, and so by seeing that and the impacts playing into someone's life for years and years to come, that becomes something that I think it's important to keep in mind as we're talking about these kinds of things. You had mentioned, Lindsay, affordable housing. Uh, could either of you speak to what does that mean? You said a third of your income, but like, what does affordable housing mean and what does it look like as far as 
quantity or like even just availability of it at any given point for a family? Yeah. So like I said before, we, we kind of define affordable as uh, no more than 30% of your income that's spent on, on housing costs. So rent, utilities, anything that goes into housing. Here in Oshkosh, uh, we know that we have a shortage of housing options, affordable housing options for people who are very low income. Um, and some of the difficulty that we have, you know, housing construction is, is expensive. And so we need to be able to support and provide incentives to developers for, for building lower income housing. And we know in Oshkosh, we need about uh, 150 units per year over the next 10 years to be able to meet demand. So we have to be building a lot more housing to keep up with, you know, our population and making sure that we're adding enough housing for all those different income levels uh, for folks. And I think another part of that, that that's important is the upkeep and maintenance of those as well. And so I think, you know, just because something is affordable doesn't mean it's necessarily habitable. And I don't mean that in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the legal term, but just kind of in general, it's not necessarily someplace that somebody would want to live just because it's affordable. And so not just the building, but also the maintaining of those properties is very important. We have talked a bit about evictions. Can you walk us through what does that process look like? And what is the impact of if you get to, if mediation doesn't work or they didn't realize that that's an option? and the eviction process really took hold, what does that process look like and what is the effect of evictions on a person or a household? So in Wisconsin, we are what they refer to as a a legal eviction state. So you cannot go in and just change the locks. You cannot go in and just turn off the lights or turn off the water or turn off the, the power or the heat. You have to go through a legal process in order to evict someone in the state of Wisconsin. And so that's just like it, it is filing a lawsuit against them. So it, you have to file a summons and complaint with the court system, and then that has to be served on the tenant, and it has you have to follow the rules. There are specific rules of this whole process on how you have to file it, how you have to serve it, and then the court will set up a return date with the court commissioner to see if there's any disputes within the claim that you're making. So, you know, if, if I'm trying to evict Lindsay, you know, Lindsay has an opportunity to come to court and say, no, I I am paid up on my rent or no, I didn't break the, the lease agreement, you know, the rules in the lease. And so if there is an, a disagreement, then it moves on to a hearing with a judge. And so it's at that stage that we show up and try to work out some type of agreement between the parties, unless they can come to us earlier. So ideally, they would come to us earlier and see if they can't work something out. But that process takes some time. And even once the judge grants the eviction, then that eviction, it's called a writ, has to go to the sheriff's department, who then actually has to show up and have someone removed from the property. So this whole process does take time. So there are benefits to the the landlord as well as the tenant on engaging in a conflict resolution process to see if there's other methods to try to resolve this between the two of them. And has your organization always been involved in the eviction process or is this something that is since it, since the beginning have you been involved with eviction mediation? So evictions have been increasingly part of our of what we do. Uh, we've long, we've been around for 25 years 
And so we've been doing landlord-tenant disputes for that whole time frame. Uh, but we've been getting more and more into that eviction process probably in the last 10 years or so. And could uh, one or both of you speak to, like, what's the ongoing or long-term consequence of having evictions on your record? What does that do for an individual? What does it even do for, like, a landlord that is having to deal with evictions frequently, too? Yeah, so in Wisconsin, we have this thing called CCAP, the Wisconsin Circuit Court Access Program. And CCAP is a website that you can go to that you can access court filings. So it's an access to those documents that are part of the public record. This is a very powerful tool. In fact, you know, looking at states around us, we, are, we have one of the strongest uh, public access terminals of any of the states. This is a blessing and a curse uh, because we have this great access to information, but at the same time, you know, how are people using that information? And so when somebody does get evicted, then they go and they're looking for other housing. And that new landlord, as part of their process of onboarding a potential new tenant, they may just check to see if this person has ever been evicted before, a part of a credit check kind of thing. And they may see that, oh, yes, this person was evicted. And that landlord may choose not to rent to this person because of this past history. And so, you know, especially if there are two tenants who are applying for the same affordable housing unit, one of whom has an eviction on the record and one who does not, that landlord may choose that tenant who has not had an eviction on the record. It can also affect your availability to get into public housing voucher program uh, that if you if you do owe money you may actually be disqualified from getting those vouchers and so it, this can have lasting impact and lasting effect on someone's ability to find affordable housing or find you know the right kind of housing i mean so they end up having to try to find you know either smaller housing or more expensive housing and i think this gets to lindsay's point on people who become housing burdened and you know spending more on their housing costs than they otherwise should. And Lindsay, could you speak a little to, um, so I want to get a bit at the connection between some of the housing challenges and substance use. So Breakwater, a coalition that is working on substance use prevention and reduction. Uh, have you, can you draw connections between uh, either people that are struggling with substance use or even those that perhaps did get evicted at some point and are now in recovery, some of those challenges that they have between substance use and uh, finding secure housing. Yeah, so like I said earlier, housing is such a, a foundation of in someone's life. So if they're not able to um, pay for their housing, you know, pay less than that 30% of their income, or if they experience an eviction, evictions can be, you know, very sudden and traumatic for folks. Um, that can really have some pretty deep impacts on, you know, their mental health, maybe their risk for using substances, um, you know, losing possessions, losing their job. For families, I think it has evictions have a big impact on, you know, kids having to change schools potentially as they're trying to find uh, new housing. So I think there's kind of a, a two-way relationship between substance use and housing where not having access to affordable, stable housing can really um, increase somebody's you know, risk if they're already dealing with mental health and substance use issues that can kind of put them, put them over. Um, and we also know that there's an impact of substance use on needing housing. So 
we need more housing options for folks who are coming out of treatment, living in recovery, uh, so sober living options where people can, you know, get back on their feet and figure out how to live in recovery. Um, and there's also the housing first model. So that, that says that people need, you know, basic necessities like food and a place to live before they can even think about how do I deal with my mental health and substance use issues. So how can we get people that that basic piece of housing. And Michael, do you have anything to add to that based on your experience that you have had in the eviction world? Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that I've uh, that I've heard is, you know, that question of is is an eviction a cause or is it a symptom of poverty? And a lot of the research has actually been trending to show that eviction and housing instability is actually not a symptom, but it's a cause. And so this is, you know, when we start talking about what are the the really serious issues that need to be addressed within the attempt to help people who are in poverty and try to reduce the amount of poverty in a community, housing and eviction is absolutely top of that list. And uh, Lindsay had mentioned housing first. Is that like, uh, can you explain what it is? Is it a program? It sounds like it's a model, but like how do, how do we live into housing first as a model? Is that something that we support as a community or are working towards building support for? Yeah, I think recognizing, you know, the first step is, is that awareness that housing is a need for folks in our community and that we need to be able to address that first so that we can together then work on some other issues. I think the first step is understanding the need for housing, more options for housing in our community, and how can we come together, you know, coming from different perspectives of substance use and mental health and lots of, you know, different problems in our community in get folks housed, get them sheltered, so that then we can work on on the next steps. Based on what you uh, see and kind of these hopes that you have for housing in our community, uh, what what next steps do you hope our community takes to help support housing needs for both uh, landlords and tenants uh, moving forward into the future? You had, had hinted at that we're having a higher rate of evictions. So what do you see as some of those solutions and what are your hopes for a healthier model of housing for our community? I think Lindsay touched on it briefly earlier that we do see a very high rate of eviction in Winnebago County. In 2019, we had over 750 evictions filed in Winnebago County alone. So this is happening quite frequently that that these are affecting a lot of people in our and a lot of members of our community. And so there are organizations and coalitions that have come together to, to start talking about ways that we can address these issues. Lindsay and I both currently work on a task force that is trying to get to the root causes of evictions in our community. And so we're trying to approach the, the eviction side of the housing instability, but I think there's another way of looking at it too. You know, there's the end, but there's also that beginning. You know, so is there other things that we could do in our community to better educate landlords, to better educate potential tenants, and just increase the ability for landlords and tenants to communicate and have a better working relationship between them throughout their, their time together? I think all of that is something that, that we want to see increase, and there are coalitions and groups. And Lindsay, do you want to talk about our specific task force? 
Yeah, our group, the Winnebago County Eviction Prevention Task Force, we really came together. There had been a group meeting um, prior to COVID that Michael was involved with, but with COVID um, kind of putting that spotlight on housing and eviction needs due to you know income loss and unemployment in our community, we had a few more partners come together to look at some immediate needs that we could work on um, because of COVID. So looking at communicating out about the uh, different eviction moratoriums, uh, different rental assistance programs for folks, uh, and try to make sure that both landlords and renters know what resources are available. And so now we're kind of at a point with our group of, you know, we address some immediate needs, but how do we, like Michael said, look at kind of before the evictions happen, what are some policy and systems changes that we can implement to really make an impact and, and improve housing stability uh, for the community? Thank you. And you hinted earlier on the impact that COVID is having um, on housing and even the nature of how uh, we're coming together to address housing or how that has shifted and changed because of this different world we're in where we're meeting virtually and we're also um, having maybe exasperated issues related to housing and other things that cause unstable housing. So could you speak a little bit about um, what you have noticed in your work related to housing and COVID and perhaps a little bit into where you see some of the housing work going in the future because of what we've learned or just experienced from COVID. There was a state moratorium on evictions, and now we're under a, a federal CDC moratorium if a tenant can meet specific guidelines uh, and, and can attest to those. And so we're seeing a lot fewer evictions being filed right now. However, we know that people are struggling. We know that there's financial issues in our community and whether that means that people are finding other ways to make their rental payments or the landlords have been trying to work with the tenants or they're just waiting to file for an eviction until some of this insecurity and uncertainty goes away. You know, one of the things that um, the task force started with was kind of this concept of, are we going to see a tidal wave? Are we going to see a tidal wave of evictions that's just kind of building offshore right now? And once this kind of, you know, we get back to normal, we're going to see that wave come through. You know, I think, you know, there is that, that immediate need concern. And I've used this analogy with the group before. I, I kind of look at our, our group as, you know, originally we were kind of that broken leg, we were looking for what's the cast for the broken leg? How can we deal with this immediate need? And then now we're kind of looking, you know, this task force has kind of switched from that cast mentality to kind of a surgery. You know, how can we make that long-term change that's going to uh, make true and strengthen, uh, you know, strengthening of our community through through the changes that we can make around evictions. And so, you know, we've kind of taken that, that mentality away from the cast and moved it towards the, the surgical approach. And Lindsay, do you see anything, uh, you're anchored in public health um, and you're also working on housing. Do you see uh, any different connections or anything you would want to add to what Michael has shared? Yeah, I think um, with housing and so many of the things that we're experiencing because of COVID, it's, it's really this ripple effect. So for folks who are 
who maybe lost their job um, due to COVID or maybe they're hourly employees and ha don't have uh, sick time or don't have childcare options, they've really been hit hard uh, because of COVID. So we're going to see this aftershock, I think, for a long time of, of housing issues and um, evictions and, you know, other issues with income that, you know, it's just this ongoing nature of COVID and what we're going to have to deal with. So I think we're kind of getting prepared for what, what does this look like for the months and years to come. So for listeners that are out there, maybe they're in the middle of this um, shock uh, that COVID has thrown at our community, where would you direct them if they're struggling with housing security or have a loved one that is struggling with uh, finding housing needs um, to either address some of these potential eviction um, challenges they may have or just are really trying to find that affordable housing? Is there a place they can go? Is there help that's out there? Can you just offer some tips and maybe even like a direct website or a phone number that people could call that can help them connect to um, help and understand what help is out there? The best resource I can, I can provide to everyone out there is 211. So 211 is a, it's a offshoot of the United Way, but it's specifically, uh, you know, it's a phone number that you can call that you just talk to a live person and you ask them what needs you, you know, you let them know what needs you have and they can direct you to specific resources. Calling 211 is going to be your best option in terms of a direct, you know, talking to a human who can help you with your exact issues. There is also another option for those who would maybe prefer not to talk to somebody over the phone. I know personally, I, I'm one of those people who prefers to order online than make a phone call. The United Way has actually built uh, a web page specific to landlord-tenant resources. And so this is a part of our task force that we've been working on, um, but it's oshkoshunitedway.org slash housing. It has information sheets specific to landlords. It has information sheets specific to tenants. It also has uh, it available in different languages as well. So 211, as uh, call them and they'll walk you through uh, the options. And because also I, I do want to point out, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that some of these resources are changing over time or expanding. So sometimes perhaps if there was a wait list, there may not be any more. And if there is a wait list or some other um, options come up that 211 would know. Um, what those new options might be. And the other option is to go to the website. And can you say that website one more time? Yes, it's oshkoshunitedway.org slash housing. Thank you. So we're going to wrap up here, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or share in relation to housing needs and housing issues in our community? You know, I think it's this, I think we've made a lot of progress um, working and focusing on housing in this area. I think there's a lot of promise happening um, with partners coming together and just having the conversation and, and learning about housing. I think we've made a lot of really great strides over the past few years. And now we're at a point where now's the time for some real long-term changes that we can implement. So I think, you know, as, as much as COVID has uh, really had a negative impact on our community, it really has brought to light all of these things that were happening before. So I'm, I'm really excited to see um, how we can bring, you know, renters along and landlords to the table to figure out how to make some solutions. 
I would agree with what, what Lindsay said. You know, we have we have an opportunity here. Uh, you know, I, I'm not somebody who likes the uh, the placating words. You know, unprecedented times, all of that kind of thing. But there, you know, there is a benefit to these unprecedented times where we are uh, allowed to look at things differently right now. Um, and so I think we have been well put into this situation that we can look at what that system is that we have right now and you know are there policy and systems changes that we can make to help people um, as we transition out of this this unprecedented time and back into some normal times thank you and thank you both for taking time to share with us the housing uh, challenges but also opportunities in our community and helping our uh, listeners out there connect to the resources we have in helping their housing issues. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.